everyone. Welcome to the show. So you guys know by now, Donald Trump has been indicted again. This is the best birthday month ever. <laughs> um, this is the big one, you guys. That's what she said. Um, sorry, I had it had to be done. This trial, unless Trump takes a plea deal, will take place in Washington, D.C. And the juries have not been kind with the January 6th defendants. I think because of that, Trump supporters are going to have a much more visceral reaction to this indictment than the previous indictments. Also, um, I could not be more pleased with the appointment of this particular judge. U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin was among my top three picks for a, a D.C. trial for Trump. Uh, my other two choices would have been Beryl Howell or Reggie Walton. They are all three very tough judges. Chutkin's name hasn't come up a lot lately. If you've been watching my follow-ups on the January 6th cases, but she presided over a lot of January 6th cases in the early days, and she's very tough. Um, she's also very critical of what took place at the Capitol and how Trump lied to his followers. So I read through the entire document. It's a lot of information, so it took me quite a while to sift through it yesterday. That's why I'm just getting this report to you now. But a lot of what's in this indictment was already revealed in the January 6th Select Committee hearings. So I'm not going to bore you guys with every single detail, because if you watch those committee hearings, you know uh, pretty much everything that's in here with very few exceptions. But I did pull out some really crucial points that you may have already heard, may have not, um, but things that I believe were worth highlighting. So Trump has been charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an, an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights, which is basically like that Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan uh, law, like the one that they brought against the Trump train down in Texas, essentially trying to prevent people's votes from being counted. If he's found guilty, he could end up in prison for 20 plus years. And there are six co-conspirators that are mentioned in this indictment, but they haven't been charged yet. I fully expect that the special counsel will charge them, but in a separate indictment. And there have been a lot of legal experts who have pointed out the special counsel probably wanted to make Trump's indictment as simple and as clean as possible because they want it to get to trial before the 2024 election. So you don't want to have too many attorneys in the mix, you know, uh, too many cooks in the in the kitchen, essentially. Um, so here's who the co-conspirators are based on clues that were in this indictment. They did not name them, but five out of the six are very easy to spot. Co-conspirator one is Rudy Giuliani. Co-conspirator two is John Eastman. Co-conspirator three is the head Kraken attorney, Sidney Powell. Co-conspirator four is Justice Department environmental attorney or former uh, Jeff Clark. Co-conspirator five is an attorney named Kenneth Cheesebro. And then we don't know who six is at this time. There have been some names floated, but this person is just listed as a political consultant. So we don't know for sure. Um, conspicuously, though, the, this list is, does not contain 
Mark Meadows. Uh, there's a few other people too, but Mark Meadows is probably the one that really is the most significant. So his attorney can play all the word games he wants, but it definitely appears that he is cooperating. Otherwise, I can almost guarantee he would have been named um, as a co-conspirator, that is. I also wouldn't be surprised if the Justice Department charges a few lawmakers separately. Now, I'll be very disappointed and I'll be very shocked. I'll be like Susan Collins. I'm shocked and disappointed um, if like Scott Perry is not charged. Um, and uh, before I dive into the indictment, consider this plot tw twist. I was thinking about this over the weekend. I can imagine a scenario in which Trump throws Giuliani and all of these others under the Trump train. Because they have made admissions recently and then over the last couple of years about how they lied about election fraud. I mean, consider just recently Giuliani all but admitted that he lied about the Georgia election workers rigging the election. Sidney Powell said essentially, you know, oh, only an idiot would believe what I was selling, what I was saying about the election. And Jenna Ellis admitted in a sworn statement that she made false statements about the election. So I can almost guarantee that he's going to try to pin this entire thing on them. And he's going to claim, oh, I was duped too. Uh, they lied to me. I just believe them. Here's the problems, though, for Trump with, with this argument. Number one, he'll have to admit that he really did lose. And we all know how he feels about admitting that he's a loser. The other problem is he would have to testify against them, most likely, right? We all know how well he does under cross-examination. So it's going to be very interesting. So here's what's in the indictment. It begins by detailing the fake electors plot. They talk about how these electors met to sign fraudulent documents. One interesting statement was, quote, some fraudulent electors were tricked into participating based on the understanding that their votes would only be used if the defendant succeeded in outcome determinative lawsuits. So they're going to throw Trump under the bus for sure and his people. Um, the indictment also states that Trump and his co-conspirators use the power and authority of the Department of Justice to falsely claim that the DOJ had identified election concerns. We knew about that, but they give some details. Um, that lie, though, what we didn't really know and how it fit together with everything else is that lie that there was fraud allowed them to advance this fraudulent electors plot. So we're all looking at it as kind of separate pieces, but it seems like it all fits together. So they were able then to pressure the vice president, pressure, you know, people in specific states. Um, but they say that when all of that failed, then Trump and the others directed his supporters to the Capitol. So it goes on to say that Trump and his co-conspirators knew that the election fraud statements that they were making were false. And they provided very specific details about what Trump and the others did and said, which proves that they knew or they should have known. So I'm not going to go into all of the examples because there were far too many in these many pages with the very small print. Um, but for example, on November 13th of 2020, 
Trump's own campaign manager told him, told Trump, that there was this conspiracy theory going around that a large number of non-U.S. citizens had voted in Arizona. And he said, that is false. We've looked into it. It is false. This is Trump's campaign manager. Okay. Nine days later, though, Trump and Giuliani called up the Arizona Speaker of the House, Rusty Bowers, and they falsely claimed the complete opposite. And they used that lie to pressure him to hold a hearing in the legislature to try to discuss these fraud claims, but they had no proof. And so the speaker said, no, I'm not going to do this, not because you don't have any proof. And then the indictment includes what we heard in the January 6th Select Committee hearings that Giuliani admitted to Rusty Bowers, this Arizona House speaker, quote, we don't have the evidence, but we have lots of theories. And on January 4th of 2021, John Eastman, who is co-conspirator too, he called the Arizona speaker and he urged him to decertify the legitimate electors. Now, when the speaker pushed back on that and he said, there's no evidence of substantial fraud, I'm not going to do this because you guys haven't given me any evidence. Eastman conceded in that, in that phone call with him, quote, that he didn't know about facts on the ground. So he's pushing this guy to decertify the legitimate electors, even though he admits, oh, I, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on on the ground and if there actually was any real election fraud. Um, so he still pressed the speaker to decertify the real electors and to, quote, let the court sort it out. So the indictment also notes that on November 16th of 2020, Trump sent a list of bullet points that were critical of what they describe as a voting machine company. It sounds like they were referring to Dominion. And he sends this to Sidney Powell. And he urges her to include these exact phrases that he had in this note, or to include close to those exact phrases in her lawsuits in Georgia, or lawsuit, I should say. Nine days later, Powell filed, filed a lawsuit against the Georgia governor, and she used Trump's talking points. But the indictment notes that prior to Trump doing this, prior to the lawsuit being filed, prior to Trump sending her this bullet point list, Trump told others that Powell's claims about Dominion sounded, quote, crazy. So they sounded crazy to him, but yet he was willing to push them if it got him what he wanted. On December 3rd, here's another example. The prosecutor notes that Rudy Giuliani gave a presentation to the Judiciary Committee in Georgia. He was trying to convince them to block the appointment of the true electors, of Joe Biden electors. In that presentation, Giuliani falsely asserted that 10,000 plus ballots were cast in the name of deceased voters. Later that day, a senior advisor of Trump texts Trump's chief of staff at that point, Mark Meadows, and he tells him that the Trump campaign lawyers verified that that claim was false, that 10,000 plus dead voters was inaccurate, that the actual number that they found was 12. 
like I said, they provided a ton of examples like this. Um, I'm not going to bore you with all of them because you could read the indictment, but there was one that really stood out because of how quickly Trump turned around and lied to his supporters. So on December 23rd of 2020, Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, tells him this is after he had flown down to Georgia after he personally observed the signature verification process by the authorities down there. He told Trump that the election officials were, quote, conducting themselves in exemplary fashion. He told Trump, too, if there's fraud, they're going to find it. They will definitely find it. Shortly after that conversation, Trump goes on Twitter and he tells his followers that the Georgia officials are trying to hide evidence of fraud in the signature verification process and that they were, quote, terrible people. So he immediately twists the truth. Um, in regard to the fake elector scheme, the special counsel wrote that the plan evolved over time. So originally, it started out as what I thought it was initially. It started out as a strategy to preserve Trump's rights. So if he should win one or more of his lawsuits, they have these documents, they've been signed on time, according to the Constitution, they can be submitted. But they say that it morphed into a plot to, quote, subvert the federal government function. So one damning piece of evidence which proves this, it involves co-conspirator five, Kenneth Cheesebro. He reached out to an Arizona attorney and he requested this, that this attorney assist in facilitating the fraudulent signatures in his state. Well, in an email after this conversation, that attorney wrote to someone and he said, quote, I just talked to the gentleman who did the memo, Kenneth Cheesebro. His idea is basically that all of us, Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, et cetera, have our electors send in their votes, and then in parentheses, even though the votes aren't legal under federal law because they're not signed by the governor, so that members of Congress can fight about whether they should be counted on January 6th. They could potentially argue that they're not bound by federal law because they're Congress and make the law, etc. Kind of wild slash creative. I'm happy to discuss. My comment to him was that I guess there's no harm in it, and then in parentheses, legally at least, i.e., we would just be sending in, and then in quotes, fake electoral votes to Pence so that, in quotes, someone in Congress can make an objection when they start counting votes and start arguing that the, in quotes, fake votes should be counted. So it just lays it out. We know that these are fake. We know that they are not legally sound. We know that they're not legitimate, but it's going to give them something to argue about and hang their hat on so that Mike Pence has some sort of fig leaf for not counting the real electoral votes. It gets even worse, though, because their cover story 
was that these fraudulent documents were necessary, like I said, just in case Trump won in court. Well, Giuliani and Cheesebro discussed filing a petition in Arizona, filing a lawsuit before the fake electors convened to sign their certificates. Because as Cheesebro explained to someone, they were advised that, quote, it could appear treasonous for the Arizona electors to vote on Monday if there is no pending court proceeding. So yeah, you can't say, oh, well, we're just signing these documents in case we win a lawsuit in the state when there's no lawsuit in that state. <laughs> so they knew, they knew that their cover story was complete bullshit and they filed these bogus lawsuits to provide the appearance of legitimacy. And apparently they did the same thing in New Mexico. It says in the indictment that they filed an election lawsuit in New Mexico six minutes before the deadline for the fake electors to cast their votes. Um, and this was apparently confirmed again. There was a December 13th email from Cheesebro to Giuliani. And in that email, Cheesebro reiterated, oh yeah, the plan is to present these fake documents on January 6th so that we can create this false crisis. Like, oh, what are we gonna do? What should Pence do? He has these two documents, you know, gosh, he just doesn't know which one is real. <laughs> which one should he certify? I guess we'll just have to not certify at all. We'll just have to wait and keep Trump in office. So that same day that this email was going back and forth between the two of them, members of Trump's campaign staff were involved in these emails and they refused to add their names to any statements being issued about the fake elector plot. There was a group text exchange and in this group text, they were saying things to each other like, quote, here's the thing, the way this has morphed it's a crazy play, so I don't know who wants to put their name on it. And quote, certifying illegal votes. And of course, they point out how these fraudulent documents were ultimately mailed to government officials, which is probably the most damning thing that they did. You know, if they just held on to them, it probably wouldn't be that bad for them. Um, the indictment also goes on to lay out the actions of Jeffrey Clark, that's co-conspirator four. They talk about how he met with Trump in secret, which violated DOJ policy. He then lied to his superiors about that meeting. Then he lied to them again and said, oh, I promise I won't do it again. But of course he did. The very next day he went and met with Trump in secret again. And then he met with him again several times after that. The prosecutor shared how Clark had drafted that infamous letter I've mentioned before. It falsely stated that the DOJ had concerns about the election. That was not true. And Clark urged his superiors to sign it so that he could send it to various states, giving them the false impression that, oh, hey, DOJ has some real concerns here. You guys might want to hold up on certifying your election. Clark actually tried to bribe his superiors into signing it. He told them, hey, Trump is going to fire one of you. He's going to fire you as the acting attorney general, and he's going to give that job to me. 
But if you sign this document, I'll tell Trump I don't want the job. I'll turn him down. So the whole time that all this is going down, Trump and the others knew that that letter was also being used as cover to try to justify these fake electors. One thing that was confirmed is that Trump did, in fact, make Clark the acting AG on January 3rd, although it sounds like it was just a verbal agreement because it was rescinded later that night. There was a threat of mass resignation. You guys might remember from the January 6th Select Committee hearings, um, Trump's officials were like, no, I'll leave, I'll leave, I'll leave. Everybody's going to leave. You're going to be here alone with Clark. <laughs> But before that happened, before this threat of mass resignation went down, Trump's White House counsel heard that Clark may have been appointed as the acting attorney general. And one of Trump's White House attorneys warned Clark that, like, if you guys go through with this stuff, if, you know, if this stuff happens and you just keep Trump in the White House, there's going to be, quote, riots in every major city in the United States. Clark responds to him, quote, well, Pat, that's why there's an insurrection act. So in other words, oh, well, we'll just use the military to stop any unrest that comes from Trump's coup. Problem solved. We'll just use more violence. <laughs> and then John Eastman, um, his role was also explained. The prosecutor notes that on December 23rd, he disseminated a two-page document, and it proposed that the vice president should announce that, quote, because of the ongoing disputes in the seven states, there were none, there are no electors that can be deemed validly appointed in those states. Eastman added that, quote, Pence then gavels President Trump as reelected. So that's what he's telling him to do on January 6th. However, the indictment notes that two months earlier, Eastman wrote the exact opposite. He wrote that the vice president does not have the discretion to choose how to handle the electoral votes. So he just completely flipped on his position. And when Eastman was talking with a senior advisor to Trump, the advisor told Eastman that his actions were going to, quote, cause riots in the street. Eastman tells him that, oh, well, you know, there have been other times in history when violence was necessary to protect our republic. So these people seriously did not care if lives were lost because of their lies, because of Trump's lies and their lies. And then the indictment goes on to detail the pressure that Trump put on his vice president to overturn the election, how he repeatedly stirred the pot with his supporters. Um, they shared numerous conversations between Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, um, and the special prosecutor actually obtained contemporaneous notes that Pence kept. In one conversation with Trump, he's pressuring Pence to violate the law, and he tells Pence, quote, you're too honest. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. You're too honest. I'm not. I'm not honest at all. So, <laughs> and on January 5th of 2021, Trump warned Pence that he would have to publicly criticize him because Pence refused to go along with what Trump wanted him to do with this illegal scheme. 
So when Trump's chief of, or excuse me, when Pence's chief of staff heard about that, he alerted the Secret Service because he immediately feared for Pence's safety. And despite knowing, I mean, Pence had turned Trump down over and over and over again. Despite knowing he was not on board with this plan, Trump tweeted out to his followers, quote, the vice president and I are in total agreement that the vice president has the power to act. Of course, he continued with the false statements about the election, about Pence the following day, which was January 6th. So, you know, it just gave his supporters even more false hope, got them all revved up. And as you all know, there was a senator staffer, which this was included in the indictment, Senator Stafford tried to deliver the fake elector documents to the vice president on January 6th. The vice president's office, though, refused to accept them. Now, the most damning part of the entire indictment is at the end. It outlines Trump's, quote, exploitation of the violence and chaos at the Capitol. This is where the special counsel explained that Trump refused to do anything to calm the crowd at the Capitol Everyone around him was urging him. They were begging him to do so, and he just flat out refused. It also details how Pence had to be evacuated, how the mob was chanting to hang him. And even after all of the carnage at the Capitol, the indictment details how Trump and Giuliani and Eastman continued to harass people to try to convince them to delay the certification of the votes or to just flat out not not certify them, just ignore it altogether. Um, they continued to lie about the election being stolen. They kept fabricating election fraud stats that were totally illegitimate. So here's one detail. They said at 7.01 p.m., Trump's White House counsel called him and they asked him to withdraw any objections to the certification. Trump refused. Seven o'clock. And as you guys might recall, John Eastman called Pence's counsel, his White House counsel, at almost midnight on January 6th, and he continued to pressure them to get him to violate his oath and to violate the Constitution, to just don't certify. After his life and his family's life was put in danger because of all of these lies. So these people have no shame. I really, really am so excited that so many of them are going to get their just desserts. Um, you know, but again, I still don't see names on this list of co-conspirators that I believe should be there. So they're either cooperating or they've taken a plea deal already, or I don't know what, but people like Jenna Ellis, um, you know, people in various states like Tina Peters and people down in Georgia. I, I just think, I don't know, maybe the special counsel is leaving people like that to their own states, to, you know, prosecutors in those states to deal with them. Could be, again, they could be cooperating. They could be, I don't think Tina Peters is cooperating based on her, you know, lack of, of common sense and how she's still drinking the Kool-Aid, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. So that's it for now. I will let you know when and if I hear more. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. Please like, please share, please subscribe. 
Love you all. Take care and I'll talk with you soon.